Hi everyone, welcome to Earth Tones. It's great to be back after a short break. I had the pleasure of uh, interviewing an amazing drummer, Terry Cote. Terry Cote is a world touring drummer, Yamaha artist, among others, who fuses many mediums in her artwork. She paints, draws, illustrates children's books, sculpts, photographs, and makes the super cool jewelry that's featured on her website, drumjewels.com. Terry knew she wanted to be a drummer from when she was six, when she created her first drum set to jam along with earth, wind, and fire out of pots and pans. Terry started playing in the drum corps in seventh grade and played through high school and junior high. And that led her to work professionally as a set drummer starting at age 14. She soon started touring with a family band called the Marcy Brothers, who were signed to Warner Brothers Records and opened for major acts including George Strait, Eddie Rabbit, Johnny Cash, the Oak Ridge Boys, Juice Newton, Roy Clark, and many more. These experiences led Terry to tour the world with American pop singer David Cassidy from 2003 all the way to 2017. David Cassidy's known for acting on the iconic 70s sitcom show The Partridge Family, as well as his solo music career. Terry has great wisdom and intuition. As a result of her artistic talents, support for her music and art from her family, and many years of touring and studio work with well-known artists. In our conversation, Terry offers real gems of wisdom when she says to direct your energy and focus, to stay on the best path individually for yourself, and getting clear through music, nature, and artistic pursuits. And that remembering that groove and supporting the song are what's most important to be a working drummer. She knows, as she's been a first call drummer for many, many years. We talk about Terry's musical beginnings and how she naturally followed her path as a musician and artist her whole life. Terry is a super cool human being and the sweetest person who I've had the pleasure of performing with. Terry's love of music goes way beyond drums as she writes, sings, composes, paints, illustrates, and makes super cool jewelry called Drum Jewels. All the websites will be listed below in the show notes. Here's my conversation with Terry. So take us back to the beginning when you started playing drums and, you know, as a child doing artwork, you know, how did you get started? Well, let's start with the art because that came first. Both of my parents were artists. Mm. Um, my mom is a great painter. She's still alive and she does anything artistically really. And, um, but she paints a lot, you know, a lot of oil painting. Yeah, nice. she's a realist. So her attention to detail is really incredible. And my father was very similar with his painting. He did a lot of oils and he also was quite the realist. But he was kind of a um, master of many, and I mean, uh, uh, what do you, how do you say it? I can't even remember right now. Master, uh, jack of all trades, jack of all trades. or like a renaissance man. A renaissance man, yeah. He was just real talented, and my mom would always say, you know, you could pick up any instrument and in a half an hour, he'd be playing it, you know. And he was just like that. But he was kind of like me, you know, focused on a lot of different arts. But um, so I, my art instincts came from them and and I started doing artwork in my mom's art studio when I was three drawing horse heads because she would draw this little horse head and I loved it and I would copy it for years I did that and that's really where it all started for me 
artistically. And musically, um, I just think it was in my soul. My dad played accordion and piano. My grandma played piano. My auntie plays piano and beyond. Even more relatives were instrumentalists, mostly piano. And um, so it was just kind of always around me. And I took piano with my grandmother for a couple of years when I was younger. And I played viola when I was younger. And um, so, but I really just always wanted to be a drummer. My mom just kept putting me on these other instruments, you know, when I was young and I'm, and I wouldn't practice. And she'd say, why are you not practicing them? Like, I don't want, I want to be a drummer, you know? Why, why are you not you practicing know? viola? Right. It was under my bed most of the time, you know, I'll ever watermelon seed, watermelon seed, watermelon seed. Like, it's cool and everything. It just wasn't my passion. And, um, I was pretty clear on what and why I always wanted to play drums since I was very, very young, like six, seven, I wanted to play drums. I heard him Earth, Wind and Fire, you know, grooving like mad and all the funky music we had in our household. My sisters were all into music, everybody, lots of music in my house, everything from Barry White to the Supremes to James Taylor to Queen to Chris Christopherson, you know, you just name it. Oh. So I just loved music, but it was Earth, Wind and Fire really truly that, and Michael Jackson and Prince, those people like really got me into the groove of things. and. So, um, you know, I such great stuff that I want to play drums. I want to play drums. And then, you know, <clears throat> we had moved to another house. I lived in Altadena, California at the time and moved to another area. And I was going into um, a new elementary school for two years. And then I was going to go just a couple blocks away to my um, uh, middle school mm -hmm. and um, junior high. And uh, so you grew up in California, in Southern California, Pasadena, yeah. Altadena, mm -hmm. actually, Altadena. And so, you know, this middle school that I went to, I'm sorry, this elementary school I was at for two years, they would always have you come out first period and sit on the basketball courts and listen to the principal talk first thing in the morning. The whole school was like, or at least our class was out there. And, um, and all I could hear was this drum corps down the street at Elliott Junior High, like booming away. It was so like, wow. it made me crazy. I'd get goosebumps, you know, and I'm, I'm sitting there hearing these cadences and what they did is they would march through the hallways of the school and it would just echo for miles. And it was like the coolest thing I'd ever heard in my entire life. And there's no way I heard a word that that principal ever said, you know, it was just like every morning I would hear him do this cadence. And I was like, Oh my God, I am joining that drum court that day I get to that school. So for two years, it was that like every morning. And I was just like chomping at the bit. And I tell my mom, you know, and, Finally, wow. I went there and I just joined my first day. I, I just went straight there as the first thing on my mind and I joined the drum corps. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> uh, so fortunate to have this this uh, back, you know, your family music all around you. I know what that's like, because um, my mom plays and she plays piano and, um, but no drummers, but like, so when you were in school, you were just drawn, no drummers in your family. You were just drawn to the drum corps that you heard in the background drowning out the principal. I love that. I, I, well, what happened was I got drawn in by Earth, Wind and Fire's grooves. And then um, my sister had a boyfriend who was a drummer in high school. And um, he was real cute, you know, I mean, he was so cute and he was a drummer. <laughs> Oh my God, I had like a little secret crush on my sister's boyfriend. <laughs> but I was really young. <laughs> and um, she took me to go see a live gig of his once. It was like in a park or something, you know. And um, the bass drum, we sat right in the front. And when he'd kick the kick drum, it would just like 
pound my chest. And I was like, oh my, what is that? <laughs> That's and that was super cool. it. That was just it. I was a goner for good, you know. That punchy feeling of the kick drum when it hits you, it's just like rocked my world. I so, love that. That was the stamp that just went, oh, there's no doubt, you know, that's happening. So I joined and then it was that year my, I went home and told my mom and she was like, what? And I go, I've been telling you for years, I'm going to do this, you know? And she was just like, okay, I guess she's serious. And it was that year she got me a drum set. Um, my first drum set, it was an orange Vistalite, like John Bonham's, like huge drums, 26 inch bass drum, 13, 14, 16, 18, 26 inch bass drum. My first drum set it was crazy. Wow. And, uh, and um, I love his sound and yeah, yours for that matter. Too. It was awesome. She got that from the drummer of um, the Commodores at the time. He was a friend of ours. And um, well, he had played with the Commodores. He wasn't with the Commodores at the time. But anyway, that was the beginning of, of the such whole a cool set. Well, you know, it's so great because you have the support from your family and you have this just this natural instinct, this natural drive and passion for all this art, different kinds of arts. So it's like the perfect storm. Um, yeah. You're so fortunate, but this this is only the beginning, and so so you've worked in like you started working in numerous bands in numerous situations since you were 14, right? Yeah. Like young, you you yeah, got you you like professional playing at a really young age, and um, you played with a family band, is that right? Called the Marcy Brothers. Yeah, the Marcy Brothers. Yep, that was my. Um, I had played with some like bar bands and different types of bands prior to them but my mom would take me to these gigs you know and be there all night with me so but when I joined the Marcy Brothers they went to the same high school as I did and that's how I knew them and, and um, I just remember the the two brothers Kendall and Chris they were like a year apart and they were in the school the older brother was out of high school he was in college already but um, they would walk through the halls and they go, Hey, you awesome drummer. <laughs> and I go, Hey, you awesome banjo player. Hey, you awesome nice. That was like what we would always do. And uh, that's kind of how we connected. And then, um, you know, it just kind of went from there. And I ended up that was a thing back then, you know, then too, you know, like family bands and touring and working at a young age. I mean, like really working and um, traveling, like, yeah. you know, um, so, but this, this leads, this leads you to many music experiences, but in particular, I wanted to bring up that you were playing with David Cassidy from 2003 to 2017, like world touring with David Cassidy from, um, for those, for those, if there's young people tuned in here from the famous, the Partridge family, not only a great musician, but a great actor. Right. That's when I remember him in those songs. Um, I'm trying to remember now. Uh, I'll meet you halfway. Yes, and and the the oh, yes, all those. I woke Charity. up in love. Yes. And come on, get happy. Come on, get happy. That's from the the show. Yes, that I actually listened to that for the first time in so long today, and it really felt nostalgic to me. Listen oh. to that because I remember watching that show all the time, and my the mom. Show was my favorite too. Oh my goodness! So, what was that like working all those years with David Cassidy? Tell me how you even uh, started working with him. How did I start working with him? I was living in Austin, Texas at the time, 
but I had lived in Las Vegas for five years and I played at Caesars Palace there for three years in a house band. And I met a lot of people there at that time. And, and I met a real good friend of mine who was um, a, an engineer at A&M Studios in the 70s, 60s and 70s, really. And he, he engineered everybody from, you know, uh, the Yellow Jackets to Cheech and Chong to all the Gino Vanelli stuff. And the list is like Neil Diamond, Barbra Streisand, it's crazy. Um, but, but we became friends in Vegas and we just hit it off real good. He used to be a drummer too when he was younger and he always loved my drumming. And so we started working together and on different gigs, he'd get me on gigs and, and I got him on a gig that we did. We toured uh, Australia and Indonesia with this Indonesian star that I used to work with at Caesars Palace. Her name was Anita Sarawak. But um, so it was him basically. Um, he was running sound house sound for Cassidy for quite some time. And, and he kept, they kept going through drummers apparently. And he kept going, you know, you need to get on this gig is Terry. And uh, I think David, I think I heard at one point, he was like, is this going to be a, like a chick thing? And he was like, not at all, you know, <laughs> whatever that means, whatever that means. But so, exactly. you know, um, for years he would say, you need to get Terry drummer after drummer, you need to get Terry. He was like, would go through drummers. I don't think they lasted two years, you know, maybe. And um, so finally, um, the musical director called me and I knew him from Vegas also. But at this time I was in, in um, Austin and he called the drum shop where I taught at, Tommy's drum shop. And um, I hadn't been in there in a while and, um, and they said, hey, this guy keep, has been calling you, leaving messages for you, um, Nor Norm Kenny. And I go, oh man, okay, that's Norm. He's calling for a reason, because I know Norm. And so I called him and that was it. He was like, um, <laughs> they asked me if I wanted a gig. You know, yeah. I, I ended up talking to the musical director. I don't remember mm -hmm. how that went. I think Norm said, talk to Lon, but um, I talked I to love the that. director and they said, do you want the gig? He basically said, do you want the gig? And I was like, I do, but I'm moving in two weeks. And I am moving in two weeks. Like I was. These are my conditions. <laughs> I needed a change and I needed to move. And um, so I didn't want anything to get in the way of that. And I said, well, just call me like next time you're looking for a drummer. I want to do it, but I have to do this. So call me the next time you're looking for a drummer. And so I moved up to these mountains, beautiful mountains in Southern Oregon, where I lived for 15 mm. years. And, um, but you know, I was oh, pretty much going crazy because I had played drums like, I mean, almost nightly since I was like young, 14, yeah. you know, I started gigging like nightly a few years after that, of course, not right at 14. I mean, we did play professionally, but it wasn't nightly, you know, it was like, sure. You had to go but, to school. But when I was on that mountain, you know, I mean, I wasn't playing gigging at all. I was with myself. There's no internet. <laughs> There's no internet. And I was yes, kind of going like I had never slowed down like that in my lifetime. And I was, it was a good thing for me. It was wonderful. It was what I needed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was just, it was a training for me to unwind up there. And it took many years to do it for me to be balanced. But when I first got there, I was kind of going, I loved it, but I was going crazy because I didn't have any music. I was kind of addicted to the music. Right. from having a gig because it was is an addiction absolutely yeah, it can be and and i had realized before i moved I'm, i first realized it in austin like oh 
you are so busy. I was doing teaching in the day. Then I do a session. Then I do a gig at night, you know, and I was like feeling good. And I'm like, no, you're, you think that you're doing something, but you're really spinning your wheels, wasting a lot of energy. Like, where is this leading you? It's not really, I was just like a hamster on a wheel. And I felt like I was being real productive because I was in demand and I was doing stuff constantly. But then I realized you're just addicted to this direct your energy and your focus a little better so that you are actually going somewhere, doing something on a path of some sort. So when I got on the mountain, I was clear like, oh, this is what's happening. I'm an addict, addicted to this. And But anyway, long story short, they called me in six more months and I was like, yes, I'm ready. Let's go. And so. Oh, that's wonderful. The whole 15 years that I lived on the mountain, I had that gig, which is so crazy because you would think if you move to the mountain, that's it. Your career is going to like you know, I was way up there in the mountains, you know. Yeah, and, and touch with your intuition, it sounds like, because you needed that break and you made this move. And so you had that balance between living on the mountain and being a touring musician, touring the world. Yeah, I was really lucky, really lucky. And it was magical because literally I got on that mountain. Six months later, I got the gig. And I had that gig the whole 15 years I lived on that property. Now, how do you, how would you recommend musicians staying in touch with their intuition? Because your life goes in different ways, and sometimes you get sidetracked by it. Could be society, it could be, you know, where you're living, contacts, what you think you should be doing. Like, how did you always stay in touch with your intuition? Well, that's never really been an issue for me because I'm an artist of so many different mediums. It's a blessing and a curse, but I'll take the blessing over the curse. I can't focus on one thing because I'll be imbalanced because I can't just play drums. You know, it's I not, get like that. I'm not like that. And um, I admire people that can focus on one thing and then go to the top. I, I, I kind of realized years ago, I'm probably never going to be the best at anything I do, but I'm going to be balanced doing the things that I love and I'm going to make art through all of these things and I'm going to express myself in life. And that's really to me, what's most important. I never cared about being the best or getting, you know, uh, acknowledgement or anything. I don't need that from everybody. I just need to be, you know, balanced in the things that I need as a person. So to your point, I don't really think much about how it is that I'm staying in touch with my intuition. That is always there. Now you can get caught up in life because we all get caught up. So we get caught up in the world as it is, these things in front of us. And there's a lot of things, you know, I'm looking around, it's everywhere. So that can be the distraction that takes you out of your artistic. I mean, I would suggest yoga and meditation really. I mean, it's, it's just about calming yourself, slowing yourself, listening to yourself, you know, shutting everything out enough to the point that you can be clear and focus on your own soul without too much distraction, however it is that works best for you to get there. What skills do you think drummers need these days? It, the world is so different. Uh, people aren't certainly touring the way they used to. So what should, what should drummers focus on to be working? Oh, well, I mean, the one thing that I notice is, um, to me, in my mind, it's such a narcissistic world now. It's become so narcissistic that it's all about me. And, and I see that in the, in the musicianship of the young players, you know, because, uh, you know, it's not their fault. But, 
you know, they, they start playing at home by themselves instead of the way we right. did it. We got to play with bands. That's right. And or we, our family, you know, Uncle Jam. Jam. And yeah. yeah. Put a band together in high school and then play, play gigs. And then, and, and there's no reason people and can't figure it out. But, you know, I don't know. The venues are different now, you know, so there's less venues for sure. And so what happens, and it's this technological age where so much is online. So people are playing with themselves a lot and they're playing with um, a video or a recorded song of somebody else. And so what I see the most is they're playing for themselves and they're right. just pops are everywhere. And some of them don't even know what a groove is. They've never learned a groove. They're just oh. all over the place. And it's like the sporadic drumming style of look what I can do. You know, I can screw my stick and I can, you know, and it's like at some point that just gets old. Like I don't even. That's I, right. I've never it been does. impressed with lots of chops. Now there's a lot of phenomenal drummers out there that have chops that are like to die for. And I respect them and I think they're amazing. And I can't really do that. That's not my thing, but I'm not driven to do that. So I'm not saying that people shouldn't follow their passion. If they have a passion to play like that, well, then they need to follow it. But to your question, that's the one thing I'm seeing is this musicality of um, teamwork, of supporting the music, of the song, being about the song. So I'm grateful the fact that we have this technology. It's cool. People still get to play. They still get to express themselves. They still get to show the world what they do because we have this amazing technology. But it is literally changing the direction of music. That's such a good point, Terry, to stay connected to the human element of music. Yeah. Technology is important. It's a way to connect. And being your authentic self, when, when particularly young up-and-coming musicians when they go on youtube and they see maybe these drummers with all these chops they think oh i have to be this person i have to do all those chops to have a connection or a relationship with music my whole life which is not true because not everybody can do that you have to be your you have to be you have to be willing to find out what you really can do and I think that's such good, good advice. And, and playing with records is such a great um, practice tool, a and great practice tool, educational yeah. and everything, but practical real life experience, music is a language and to miss out on connecting with other people. Well, and you know, that's, that's what, where I learned because I started playing so young. And, you know, I mean, I started playing in these professional settings with people that were better than me right off the bat and older than me and better. And which I highly recommend to anybody who wants to really be a good musician, a balanced musician. You're not allowed to be narcissistic. Absolutely. Everything a drummer does sticks out. You're in the hot seat all the time. So, you know, you're either rushing or you're dragging, or you're too loud or your dynamics aren't right. There's so many variables that need to be right. It's a real intense education to be playing with professionals that you, they're going to tell you, they're going to tell you, you know, and they'll be nice about it. Most likely if they're nice people, which I was fortunate, I was with a lot of amazing people that helped me grow. And, you know, absolutely, I was one, you know, but I'm not the youngest one anymore. <laughs> that changed. <laughs> the best I for many years. I was always the youngest, you know, 
So tell me, so how did Drum Jewels get started? Another facet of your artistic um, abilities. <laughs> tell me about Drum Jewels. Drum Jewels started with my friend G.T. Albright in Ashland, Oregon. He created this drum part called Rimshot Locks. And Rimshot Locks go on the tension rod of the drum. Okay. And um, after you tune the drum to your liking, you twist these up against the rim and then you tighten them with this specific key um a rim shot lock key which really could be a little wrench <laughs> okay um but, but they're real cool keys so basically they lock up against the rim hoop and then um because the drum every drum every time you strike it vibrates a little bit and every time it vibrates it loosens a little bit that's why drums go out of tune with hard-hitting drummers, especially. Mm. So, you know, that's been an age-old problem for drummers. And he created this wonderful part. So we um, had a nice team of about five people. And we would go down to the NAM show every year and promote the, the piece. And um, the piece is because you would buy a pack of 10, you know. So um, they looked really cool. And... Um, I was just thinking like the first two years we walked around, we didn't have a booth. We, so I had a, a drum with a strap. I just took a strap from like a briefcase and put it on the hooked on both tension rods, two tension rods, strapped it over my shoulder, put the rim shot lock stickers on my head, on the head. And I had the tension rod, uh, the rim shot locks on the tension rods to show. And then I thought, you know what, I'm going to put them on my NAM badge string because then they'll be right there and people will go, oh, what's right. that, right? So that's what I did. And people were like all over that, like, oh, whoa, what is that? All the rock and rollers, especially, because it's like metal, you know, and it's cool. It's a long tube, but then it's got like a like hexagon on the side on one end, you know, and it looks really cool. And then I was like, oh, you know what? Next year I'm making rock and roll jewelry and I'm bringing it down here with the tent, with the rim shot locks. And um, it, I love that. So cool. They're very cool. I love that. It started, and that's that's where that started, really. And it's kind of grown into you've branched out into other forms of meaningful jewelry. Yeah. Into I even saw a piece that you you made out of bass strings, which I think is so cool. Yes. I love that. Well, the bass ball ends. I do have some I want to do with with actual strings, but I haven't gotten there yet. I have seen it done before, though. It's very cool. In fact, I have one on right now. This one is, this one. see. Oh, I love it. This one's guitar string ball. In. They're smaller. Oh, and then so little pretty. stones in between. And then I have a heart at the bottom. That is but, so cool. Isn't that cool? I love so, that. Uh, and I, I also want to mention that um, Terry has been teaching for as long as she's playing many, many years. I know you teach um, in many capacities, but also at 247 Drums in yeah, Winchester I with your husband, Sergio Bellate, also an amazing drummer. And I have to say that I checked on Spotify and I saw a super groovy tune that you and Sergio recently collaborated on with a few other folks called I Know You Know. I love that people got to check this out now do you have any um so what's coming up for you you have a home studio is that right terry and and a and a, and a gallery that you're opening Our or a gallery, story yep. amazing 
Yes. I'm going to have to and come with my mask and oh, check it out. Is it open or like? It's not is open. It's not open. I haven't really opened yet, but I'm going to um, soon. I just had to get through the holidays and, you know, had so many th different things going on. But um, oh, yeah. goal, I'm going to be there probably from nine to like maybe two every day kind of thing. And, I love um, that. I'll come by. Oh, I would love for you. To I, would, I would. I would. I you would love to open here a glass of wine and, and yes, hang out, play. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Terry. It's been such a pleasure talking with you. What a great conversation with Terry Cote. Thanks again for being here, Terry. And thank you for tuning into Earth Tones. We'll close out this episode with an original tune of Terry's called Into the Light. See you next time. Bye-bye.